This time, uh, we have an optional ministry for our children um, up through the second grade. They can head out this back, and they're going to head out with Mrs. Smith. So um, as they are doing that, I do want to just extend a thank you to all of those who work with our children. Um, we, we extend that thank, thank you all of the time, but particularly uh, here recently because it's a little more challenging. All things are a little more challenging, and so we are very thankful for those who work with our kids And if you have a Bible, you can open up to the book of Matthew. We are in the second week of a two-part series, uh, looking at our mission, who we are and what we are about as a church. And uh, we've taken, goodness, five, six-week break from the book of Luke. Lord willing, we are going to be back in Luke uh, next week. And we are going to be beginning in Luke, really, what's the, the Easter passages, so Easter's early this year. It's, I think, April 2nd or April 4th. But it's going to feel really early this year for Living Branch because we're going to be talking about the theme of Easter for, for several months now. But uh, until next week, let's uh, look at God's word, Matthew 28. This is the closing chapter of Matthew, and I'm going to read beginning in verse 16. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's word. Now the eleven disciples went into Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Father, I think about these words spoken to the 11 2,000 years ago in a time of great anxiety and stress in their lives. And, And Lord, we find great comfort in knowing that you have promised us that you would be with us to the end of the age. And so Lord, open your word to us open our hearts to your word that we may hear and do your word, we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. So every year, journalists or pundits will try to capture the previous year in a word or a phrase. So a few years ago, the kind of the key phrase that that captured one of the years was fake news. That was a new phrase in our vocabulary, and we're probably all tired of it by now. And so I think about the year 2020 and think about some words or phrases that could sum up 2020. Some of them I you know, can't really repeat up here. There's a lot of words we might like to use to describe 2020, but I want to use one word that I think captures what we just went through, and it's a difficult word. Um, For some of you, this is a word that will send chills up your spine. It's a four-letter word, Zoom. I will confess to you that a year ago, I had never heard of Zoom. It was around. Businesses were using it. It was a part, you know, it was a technology that that many businesses used, but I had never heard of it. Um, Now it is very much a part of our vocabulary. It can be used as a noun to describe the application Zoom. It can be used as a verb. I'm going to Zoom with you. I think it's also officially a medical diagnosis, Zoom fatigue. I think you can get treated for Zoom fatigue. And uh, I imagine that the CEO and the board of directors in January of 2020 probably at some point sat down and had a business plan of how we're going to grow our business this year. 
And I have to imagine it was in a nice little binder and they talked about all of their growth plan. Oh, little did they know. They could not have anticipated the way that Zoom would have, sorry, zoomed into our consciousness. I had to go there. Uh, Here's a stat that absolutely blows me away. At the height of uh, really when COVID hit in March and April, they were adding on average 3 million users a day. 3 million users a day. I can promise you that no growth plan that they formed in January anticipated that kind of growth. So as we talk about our mission statement, last week we looked at this idea and it was really an upward focus of what does it mean to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So it's really an upward focus of our relationship with God. And now we're going to look at the second part to make disciples of all nations. And that's really an outward focus. So I want to tell you another story about spectacular growth that nobody could have planned. And that is Matthew 28. 11 disciples, a handful of followers in a mountain in Galilee, rural, and they have taken the faith literally to the ends of the earth. Historically speaking, billions and billions of followers of Christ. So it's impressive. Three million users a day, that's impressive. But not as impressive as the kingdom of God and the church. And so here's my prophecy 2,000 years from now, I don't think Zoom's going to be around. Now, we'll all be gone, so if I'm wrong, you, you know, that's okay. But I don't think Zoom's going to last 2,000 years. Nothing does, but the church does. And so as we think about who we are as a church, our mission, what are we about, we think about these kinds of verses. And so probably if you go to most churches, if they have a mission statement, they're going to use some themes or language from Matthew 28. This idea that the church exists to go and make disciples of all nations. Now they may phrase it differently. Some churches can kind of capture that in a word or a phrase. And I just wasn't that creative. So I just borrowed it directly from Matthew 28. Um, But this idea that we are, our mission is to go forth. So here's what I want to suggest to you. In the year 2020, a lot of businesses struggled, collapsed, failed. But I have to imagine the CEO of Zoom and the board of directors, although they may never come out and say it, they're probably thinking, you know what? 2020 was great. It was the greatest possible thing to grow our business because our company is now a really a worldwide application with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of users. And so as I think about 2020 and 2021, it's a reminder that the gospel goes forth usually the strongest and the most powerfully in the midst of crisis in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of challenges. So we as a church don't shrink back just because the world we live in is difficult. We go and make disciples of all nations in 2021 and each and every year. And so we're going to look at just really two things. The first is before we can get to that key phrase, go, we have to talk about what it means to be a disciple before we talk about what it means 
to make disciples. And so here's a little context. Matthew 28, it's the last chapter in Matthew. Jesus has been crucified. Jesus has been resurrected. And they are trying to deal with, they being the Roman leaders, the Jewish leaders, they have to put a spin on this story. And so what they do, and, and this is the earlier verses, it says they assembled the elders and, the, and they take counsel and they give a sufficient amount of money to the soldiers. The soldiers who were guarding the tomb, it says, tell the people that his disciples came by night, stole him away while we were asleep. In other words, we are going to spin this story of the resurrection by saying, you know, these Roman soldiers fell asleep on the job. They let us down. The body was taken. It's really not that big of a deal. And we're going to have to pay these soldiers because they're going to have to admit to failing. So it's going to take some money, but there's always a price for everybody. But Jesus gives instructions to the disciples to go back to Galilee and to go to a mountain. We don't know which mountain, but they did. So I want you to think what this would have been like. We're told it's the 11. Well, we know what happened to the 12th. So the 11 go home. Jerusalem was this pit of intrigue, violence, conflict, danger, opposition, the likelihood, the probability that if they came for Jesus, they'll come for his followers. So they were more than happy to go back to Galilee. Galilee was their home. It's where their friends and their family were. It was rural. It was 90 miles north of Jerusalem. It was safe. And they go up on a mountain and they probably are thinking, we're back home. It's been a wild ride. We will never leave Galilee again. We have no desire to ever go back to Jerusalem. We're not going to show our face in that city. And it says this, that Jesus appears to them. So Jesus directs them to go to Galilee. He appears to them. And you have to think about what that's like. They, they see Jesus. He's been crucified. And it's not like they're going to go up to Jesus and say, hey, it's great to see you. Um, so Jesus, anything new lately? How you doing? Any big news for us? This is the resurrected Jesus. And it says, when they see him, they worship him. Now that seems pretty self-evident. That's what we're supposed to do. That's kind of the whole point. Glorify God, enjoy him forever, worship Jesus. But it's actually a pretty amazing thing because if you go through the book of Matthew, there's really very few times that Jesus is worshiped, which might seem strange, but it's true. We get a picture of Jesus being worshiped at his birth. The Magi come, they bring gifts and they bring gifts because they want to do what? They want to worship him. That's Matthew chapter two. We skip all the way forward to Matthew chapter 14. And in the only time that Jesus is worshiped as an adult, that at least Matthew records, prior to his crucifixion takes place in Matthew 14, Jesus is walking on water. You know, Peter says, hey, if it's really you, call me out. And Peter steps out of the boat, starts to sink. Jesus saves them. They get back in the boat and it says, the other disciples worshiped Jesus as the son of God. They saw Jesus walk on water, but they also saw Peter walk on water. The next time we see Jesus being worshiped 
is in Matthew 28. The women go to the tomb. It's empty. They're running back to get the disciples and they run into the resurrected Jesus and they fall at his feet and they worship. Now here at the very end, the disciples understand. Jesus had been talking about his crucifixion. They didn't really get it. And and you can't blame them. But now they understand and they worship as the 11 disciples. But look at what Matthew tells us, just throws this in. They worship three words, but some doubted. Matthew, who is it? Give us the rundown. Oh, it has to be Thomas. I mean, his nickname is Doubting Thomas. Matthew doesn't tell us that. Some doubted. Literally in the Greek, it says, some hesitated. And the implication is this. It's not that they didn't worship at all. They were just a little bit slower. They were a little more unsure. And and we scratch our heads. And on one hand, we say this. Jesus is the resurrected Christ appearing to them. And they don't fully understand. Now, I'm going to be back in Luke, so I don't want to give too much of Luke away. But Luke chapter 24, the disciples are going to walk on the road to Emmaus with Jesus. They won't even know it's him until he reveals himself. In fact, it'll be said they were kept from knowing that it was him. In John, at the end, it says that Jesus is on the beach. The disciples are in a boat and they at first don't recognize him. And so part of this is what they understood of the pre-crucified Jesus has now been radically changed with the resurrected Jesus. So we ask this question, what does it mean to be a disciple? And I want you to go back, look at verse 16. Jesus directed them. Seems pretty straightforward. Jesus told them what to do. Go to this mountain and they did it. And so fundamentally what it means to be a disciple is we listen to the voice of Jesus. We listen to what Jesus tells us to. Now, they literally had the resurrected Christ speaking to them. We don't have that, but we do have God's word. I think one of the challenges is this. Now, I'm going to try to do like 500 years of history in the next 45 seconds. Most of us here have been raised, have grown up with this idea that the words of God, the Bible, are the the foundation to what we might call Judeo-Christian worldview. They're the foundation to our world. And that's largely been the truth for the last 500 or more years. I don't think it's the truth anymore. So in other words, we are shifting the way our broader culture understands the word of God. It, it used to be understood, even if you weren't a Christian, even if you didn't go to church, you had a high level of respect for the 10 commandments, so to speak. It was seen as the foundation of our nation, our world. Now, candidly, people view it as a roadblock, a hindrance something that has to be thrown off, something that is in the way. And and so here's what that means for us. We, as those who are disciples, followers of Christ, will feel the tension of living in a world in which we are called to listen to the voice of Christ, 
but all of the other voices are, are the exact opposite. I've said this before, but I think it bears repeating. Um, we're sitting in a room. Some of us are really young. Some of us aren't. Some of us have a lot of years ahead of us, and some of us don't. I think it's true, and I'm sorry to say this to our children, in some ways they will have an easier time of following Christ, and in some ways it'll be much, much harder. It's going to be harder because the messages that our kids get are completely inconsistent with the message of Scripture. It will be easier, I think, in a sense, because there will be, in some ways, what I experienced growing up is you could fake it. You could put on a good front and pretend to be a Christian and nobody knew the difference. I think it'll be harder to do that, which is actually good. And so here's one of my thoughts, challenges, and and you can take this or, or leave it. As I think about the year 2021, what does it mean to be a disciple? It means not just are we listening to the voice of God or are we listening to God's word, but what are we tuning out? So sometimes Susan and I will be in the kitchen. It's kind of the hub of our home. We'll be trying to have a conversation and simultaneously all three kids will come in with something really important. Usually the dog comes in at the same time because she's barking at a squirrel. You know, somebody's playing music and one of us just says, time out. Music's off, dog goes out, kids go out too. And, And we just need some quiet because there's too much noise around us. And I think of the world that we live in, there might be too much noise around us. So what what prevents us from hearing the voice of of Christ? What what prevents us from hearing God's word? It's the chatter. I want to read a quote to you. This is not a quote from a Christian, at least not that I can tell. But he wrote an article, some of you have shared this with me, called The Case Against the News. Uh, And you can take or leave this, but uh, he puts forth this thesis that nobody should ever watch the news. And here's what he writes. Now, I watch the news, but maybe after this, I won't. He says this, out of the approximately 10,000 news stories you have read in the last 12 months, name one that because you consumed it, allowed you to make a better decision about a serious matter affecting your life, your career, or your business compared to what you would have known if you had not swallowed that morsel of news Go without the news. And he talks about how it kills creativity. He's not a Christian. At least I don't think he is. It kills creativity. That's okay. But I think sometimes the chatter can actually distract us from hearing the voice and the words of God. Now, I want you to hear what I am saying and not, this is not if you watch the news, you're sinning and need to repent. No, I'm not saying that. I, You know, I still consume the news, but try not to as much. But it's just what are we allowing to distract us from being a disciple? One other thing I think it means to be a disciple. Uh, I like to kind of tease my kids. They're not here this morning. Um, But usually in the fall, the night before they go to school, I like to say something like this. I'll say, kids, guess what I'm doing tomorrow? I've got a really big day ahead of me. Guess what I'm doing? They're like, dad, what are you doing? I'm not going to school tomorrow. Been there, done that multiple times, got a lot of degrees and I'm I'm done. Amen, adults? 
it's great to be done. We are never done being a disciple. You, you don't graduate. You don't get to, to walk out and throw your cap in the air. I mean, I guess you do at death. That, that's maybe symbolically when you throw your, you know, your graduation hat in the air. So no matter how old you are, you are a learner, a disciple, and a follower. So 2021, what's my prayer? It's the same prayer that I've had for a couple decades that I would grow, not just knowing more about Christ, but I would grow in my knowledge with, as I walk with him. And that's my prayer for you as well. So before we can talk about what it means to be, make disciples, we have to say we are a disciple. Now let's get to the good stuff or kind of the, the, the main verse here. Verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Now let's talk about that word go for a moment. You don't need to study Greek. Go means you move from one spot to the other. It's pretty straightforward. But I want you to think about what this looks like in the pattern of the whole Bible. Genesis chapter 12 says, the Lord said to Abram, there's that word, go. Go from your country, your kindred, and your father's house. Go from your country. Go from that land in which all of the people look like you talk like you, think like you. They root for the same sports teams if they had sports teams back there, back then. Go from your kindred, go from your grandparents and your aunts and your uncles and your cousins, all of your family members who are the most important people in your world. Go from them and go to, uh, from your father's house to a land that I will show you. In other words, you, you can't Google what the weather's gonna be like there. You, you don't get a travel brochure. Abram won't know what's ahead of him until he gets there. And so it's a reminder of the pattern of scripture that God is always sending or telling his people to go. Sometimes they're very reluctant. We get the story of Jonah. Jonah, go. Uh, I think I'll go that way. We think of the story of Daniel. He goes to Babylon, not willingly, Captured. He's a slave and he's taken into a foreign land. And then we get this interesting passage in Acts chapter 10. Peter is told to go, but it's not really a geographical going. It's more of a spiritual going or a, a intellectual going. And, and this is what it says. Peter is told to go to a Gentile. Now, a Gentile usually was followed by the phrase dog. Jewish people didn't want to go to the Gentiles. They were dirty. They were unclean. If you walked into a Gentile house and they offered you food, your response was, no thanks, I ate last week. I don't want to eat your food. I don't want to drink your water. I don't even really want to be in your house. But this is what it says, rise and go. Go down and accompany them, that's the the Gentiles, without hesitation. Hey, Peter, don't be like Jonah. Just go. For I have sent them, and he said, this is in verse 28, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. I am breaking the Jewish law by stepping forth into your house, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So I was sent for, I was told to go, and I came without objection, and I asked why you sent for me. 
So one of the things that it means to make disciples is to understand that we are fundamentally people who go. It doesn't mean we have to ship out and all go to Africa, although for some it might, but it means we are called to go to people like Abraham who may not look like us, may not talk like us, may not think like us, and quite candidly, people that we might say, you know, if it weren't for the gospel, I don't know that I would really want to hang out with those people. That's the message of making disciples. I think about what it means to be a disciple. Again, who are we? We're going to sing a song in a moment. It's called Grace Alone, and it starts by saying this. I was an orphan lost at the fall, running away when I heard your call. Verse two, you left your home to seek out the lost. Jesus went. You knew the great and terrible cost. You see, we go because Jesus came. That's the pattern of all of the scriptures. And so I want you to think about if you are here today and if you are a follower of Christ, if you have been saved by the blood of Jesus, I'm going to bet you that there is at least one person, at least one person, maybe a whole bunch of people who came to you, who at some point were obedient to Matthew 28, shared the gospel with you, and as a result had a profound impact on your life. It, you know, honestly, it could just be your parents or grandparents or a coach or a teacher or a youth pastor or a best friend or a neighbor. I mean, the list goes on and on, but there are probably multiple people in your life who were obedient to go. And so it doesn't really matter whether it's a wonderful year or a difficult year. The call to go does not change. Disciples, as we think about making disciples, we fundamentally understand what's wrong with the world. Think about that. Someone has said, hey, what's wrong with the world? Right now, some people might say, well, I I know Washington, D.C., that's what's wrong with the world. I don't think so. Luke chapter 13, some people come to Jesus and it says, they told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Something has taken place in the nation. The politician, the Roman prefect Pilate has abused his office. He's abused his authority. He has slaughtered Galileans and he's mixed the blood with the sacrifices in the temple. This is an outrage of outrages. And they're coming to Jesus because they want Jesus to condemn Pilate and this political situation that's going on. Now, Jesus doesn't support it, but he says this. Verse three, verse two and three. Do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all of the other Galileans because they suffered? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Jesus says the number one thing wrong with his world wasn't the fact that Rome was in power and they had this abusive leader that was doing terrible things, although that was taking place. He said the number one thing that's wrong in the world is that there are people who have not repented of their sins. And you and I need to be careful that we're not among those. And so as we think about what's wrong with the world, what what do we need to tell others 
Making disciples is not getting them to necessarily agree with our political perspectives. It's not getting them to agree with the way we think about COVID. It's a reminder that I have to repent and you all have to repent. That the number one problem is not political upheaval. It's rebellious hearts. And we're called to repent and to have faith. And so we go and we make disciples. And then Jesus says this word of all nations. That's, that's, that's a lot of nations. It spans a lot of territory. And it was challenging to the Jewish people because they didn't even like to step into the houses of the other nations. It's really hard to make disciples if you won't get near them. Now, as we think about this phrase, all nations, we probably think of what? Foreign missionaries. Oh, those are the people that go off to Africa or China or, yeah, that's what this is talking about. But I want to maybe put a little curve spin on it. When we think about foreign missionaries, what do they do? They go to people who speak a different language. They go to people who have strange, unusual customs. They go to a people and they may spend generations or their entire life hoping to get two or three converts. That's the reality of the mission field. So I want to maybe turn foreign missions upside down. And let's think about this. Going to a people who speak a different language. Now, I'm going to kind of reveal what stage of life I'm in. I have some people who I live with who speak a different language. I spoke a different language back in the 80s and 90s. My parents didn't know what I was talking about when I was a teenager. It was a foreign language. I don't even know what my kids are talking about half the time. Strange and unusual customs? Uh, Yeah, yep, check. Spending a lifetime praying and hoping and working that we might just have a few that follow. Yeah. And so in many ways, discipleship making starts in your home. Missionaries will, I've talked to numerous missionaries and they will say the hardest thing is not necessarily working with the foreign people they work with. It's discipling their own children. And so we as a church, I don't think we're going to pick up as a church and, and move to Africa, but we have the call and the opportunity and the responsibility to make disciples of this nation first, the the nation that's in our home. But it does mean foreign missions. It does mean all nations in the more traditional sense. And so here's just a couple of thoughts. This could really be its own sermon. One of my prayers for you all as a church is that in the next five, 10, 15, 20 years, at some point, I will stand up here and I might be so old that I'll you know, have to sit up here. I don't know. But that we'll have some children in our church that we will bring up here and they won't be kids anymore. They'll you know, be up here probably. That we will pray for them as we send them out to the mission field. Look, I got some kids that I'd like to send out right now. I mean, but, but that's a different story. I pray that the Lord will raise up the next generation of leaders. Maybe it's just the foreign mission field of Purdue University or IU or wherever, or the local high school. I pray that the Lord will raise up missionaries from our midst. We as a church have committed, even though we don't physically go necessarily, we have committed to send And every dollar that comes in, 10% of it 
goes to form to missions, whether that's local, campus ministry, church planting. And I encourage you this year, as you think about the way that the Lord has blessed you to realize that we have an opportunity to make an eternal impact in places. And now more than ever, I talked with an RUF leader and they said, it's so weird. It's just so weird. He said, I go on campus. There's nobody there. You know, Big Ten University and the football game, you know, you've seen it. The stands are empty during the game. Doesn't mean the kids aren't there. They're in their dorm rooms or wherever they are. And they're lonely and they're hurting and they're isolated and they're wrestling with deep questions and they need the truth of the gospel. They, they needed it before this, but they need it now. And so we as a church want to be a part of that process. There's a TV show that I watch on PBS called Finding Your Roots. This is Henry Louis Gates, and he sits down with these celebrities and he traces their, their lineage and their heritage. And he sometimes goes back two or 300 years says, oh, you're related to this person and that person. And it's kind of interesting, but I want you to think about this. If we could trace our roots, spiritually speaking, it would go back to that mountain in Galilee. That'd be a a really big scrapbook. We would trace our faith to those early followers and all of the generations, and Glenn kind of alluded to it, and we sang about it, this cloud of witnesses, those that are cheering us on, those who were faithful in their days and, and are calling us to faithfulness. And, and I, I'll just say this, you know, 2020 wasn't that bad. It really wasn't. I mean, it was a hard year in my limited life. If you've ever studied history, you'll study things like the Hundred Year War. You know how it got its name, right? Or, you know, you would talk about the bubonic plague, the Roman persecution, the civil, I mean, 2020 wasn't that bad. And all of those who've gone before us endured. They were called to be faithful. They were called to go in the midst of terrible circumstances. And it's no different for us. And so Living Branch Church, my prayer in 2021 and and all of the years to come is just simply this that we will worship. We will worship Jesus. We will hear his words of go and make disciples of all nations. And we will go and and with great joy and expectation and hope because of this very last verse, behold, stop, pay attention. That's what that word means. Look, I am with you always, always always. Let's pray. Father, we confess to you that we sometimes shrink back easily. I confess to you that I do that. It's easy to feel overwhelmed. It's easy to feel the cares and burdens of this world. And yet, Lord, we know that your word has stood the test of time the call to make disciples, the call to glorify you, to enjoy you does not change. And so may we do so knowing that you are with us. And we pray this in the name of God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit.
Amen. Let me invite you to stand. Our confession of uh, prayer of confession this morning is from the prophet Isaiah. And we're going to look at a passage pulled from Isaiah chapter 65. The words are printed in your bulletin. And this is a reminder that we are people who are called to repent, that when we repent, though, there is also great forgiveness. So if you would join me. Behold, you were angry and we sinned. In our sins, we have been a long time. And shall we be saved? We have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you. For if you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. Hear the good news, the news of forgiveness and pardon from Isaiah chapter 66. Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her, all you who love her, for thus says the Lord. Behold, stop, look, I will extend peace to her like a river. Amen.